Hey friends, we were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and super crazy, but when we do life together, we find that it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life, in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I love to dig deep and talk about the really raw things that people are not always comfortable discussing. And I'm also passionate about sharing practical tips that have helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insights on strengthening your faith and your marriage, parenthood, how to's, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I am Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. I am Lindsay Maestas, and today I'm so excited to introduce you to a brand new friend who I've just had the opportunity to sit and chat with about all the things, and she's already encouraged my heart within minutes. This is Havila Cunnington. Havila, thank you so much for your personality (laughs) and your spunk and your joy. I'm so thankful to have you here. Lindsay, I'm so excited to be here as well. And I'm excited to find another mom of boys. Like I call it, Lisa Bevere has four boys and we call us the mob. We're moms of boys, so we're in the mob. (laughs) It is an honor to be here too. Oh, I would be honored to join that crew. I Okay, so Havala was explaining to me, you live in California, you have four boys, you are an author. Tell me a little bit about your journey into this ministry. What led you to teach others about Jesus? What led you to want to share your wisdom with the world and become a little bit vulnerable and talk about your own story? Well, I I definitely did not set out to be a speaker or an author. I was a church kid and lived kind of a really wonderful, you know, 90s life, 80s, 90s life. And I, my dad was a a full-time minister. My mom was full-time home and I had an identical twin sister. We lived um, a very similar life, right? Identical twins. And I just didn't set out to do what I'm doing. And I ended up in third grade discovering that I had learning disabilities Mm -hmm. and that came from testing. And I found out that I was dyslexic. I had reading and comprehension issues. And now I have found out that I have some ADHD that's like a perfect cocktail for chaos. (laughs) And so I had no plan. Even when I grew up, I didn't have a plan of what I was going to do. My sister was signed up to go to nursing school and I was going to live off my parents. And that was kind of my plan. (laughs) And God got a hold of my heart at 17. And it was really it was really profound because it wasn't something I'd set out to do. It was something he had just encountered me. And fast forward, I meet the the love of my life. He is, um, I was 27 at the time. So I'd waited a long time. He was 23. I always say, if you haven't met the love of your life, it could be because God wants them to be legal. Yeah. Um, and then- <laughs> So, but then we we got married. I know it's right. And then we got married and we had four babies in five years. And within all of that, I was leading some worship, leading, um, and then teaching a little. And then about that, the second kid Hudson is when I really felt the Lord say, it's time to write and, and write a Bible study. And I told God, God, I'm a dyslexic, uneducated, 
person. Like uh, every other word is like, um, and you know, I'm not that girl. And I felt the Lord just say, do it, try it. So I ended up, this is very short to what everything yeah. happened, but yes. I ended up writing a Bible study and invited 50 of my, of my church to join. And that was kind of the beginning, which led to a Facebook Bible study where thousands of people have joined. And now we're 10 years in and we have about 25,000 people that join us every January for a free Bible study around mm -hmm. my table. And that's all the sexy stuff. But the real stuff yeah. is, is that I live in Northern California. Um, I live with Ben. I, my husband is Ben Cunnington. I say that I've been married for 18 years, happily married for 15. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we live on land. We have two dogs, a fish, a cat. And it is everything beautiful, but not glamorous, but I mm. love it. I am, um, yeah, that's kind of what where I've begun. And that's kind of why I started to write books was really God's call, but also the desire to be a mom and be a mm. wife, be at home. And I knew that I didn't, I couldn't travel everywhere and I couldn't preach everywhere, but my book could. My yeah. book could be in someone's hands why I slept or went to a soccer game. And so that's how it all began. That's like a big, yeah. I'm sorry, all of the listeners, I'm so sorry. I just kind of gave it all, but there it is. No, I think that's wonderful. And I think it's so refreshing to, I mean, just the way that you present your story is really refreshing, Havala, because I feel that you're saying like, hey, here are the happy years of marriage. Here are the not so happy years of marriage. Reality. Here are the sexy things in my life. But also mm -hmm. I'm labeling those as sexy things because there are so many things that are not sexy or romanticized in my life. And and just even going back to what you said, your story and your testimony are so incredible because for you to be in a place where you're saying like, I don't have purpose. I don't have drive. I don't have anything I actually want to do. I'm watching someone very close to me in my life who has these plans and then yet to to, to go from feeling like oh, I'm just a girl with learning disabilities or however yep. you define yourself to then seeing and hearing what God has to say to you and calling you into that. And then as an outsider to say, holy cow, look at everything <laughs> you've accomplished. Good for you. I just commend you for that. Because it's incredible and it takes work. I mean, everything, it takes people and help and love, but it also yeah. takes a lot of work, a ton of work. work and energy on your end. And so I just think that's incredible. But I would just getting into our conversation today, I was so excited to talk about this because it's very relevant in our world to wonder how do I hear God? And your book, Created to Hear God, Four Unique and Proven Ways to Confidently Discern His Voice. I have so many questions. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, where do we begin? So I think where I'm going to start is in your your story that I've read about you, you talk about clinical depression. And I can relate to this. I just came out of about a year of very, very severe depression. Yeah. And God has really just healed and transformed my life in the past few months. Mm -hmm. But it was in that time where I struggled with this ministry yeah. Because I'm like, guys, if I could have prayed it away, read it away, cried it away, communicated it away, like I would have because I tried everything and I felt so broken, couldn't get out of bed, could not function yeah. and trying to run a business and lead employees when I'm like, can't even move my feet. Yep. In those moments, I, I did feel that disconnect from Jesus. I felt like I would read and I just felt like it was falling upon deaf ears I don't think I was really in a place where I was actually trying to receive it either, though, because I was 
living in a place where I felt really sorry for myself, if I'm yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, and so with your story, I'm just curious, is that the moment where you felt that God was most silent for you? Or was it the moment that inspired you to say, I know that God is not a silent God and I just need to start trying to hear his voice? What was that situation for you yeah. or experience for you? Yeah. Well, Lindsay, first my heart goes out to you because, yeah. man, I we could have had years together of the conversations yeah. about that because that is very real. And I um, was raised in a pretty charismatic environment, although we did travel in, into, my dad was a traveling minister, so we did missions, movements, and charismatic and conservative. Mm -hmm. But the word depression, the word anxiety, um, all of that was a pray it away. I mean, that was yeah. how we grew up. And nobody went to counseling or therapy unless you had a mental disorder. I mean, that was really what it was. And and we kind of were like, well, you know, that's the last ditch effort. We're going to hit you at the prayer line a couple of times and hopefully get you delivered and you'll go from yeah. there. So here I was, this, I had been, um, this, I was ordained and I was speaking. We had a large church or I would teach all five services every five weeks. I was a worship pastor. I got married to this man. I waited for this marriage and prayed for it. And I have my first baby. I'm, I'm literally um, in labor, my first, my first anniversary. And then nine months later, get pregnant again, have our second son. And I am not thinking anything's wrong. I know there's a lot going on, but yeah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I, we had went to move into a rental home and found out there was black mold. And so we had to make a pivot because I had this little infant. I had it like a one and a half year old. We need to do something. So we moved in with my parents and one night my husband and dad were out barbecuing. My mom had my little guy, Judah, my firstborn. And I'm holding the baby and it feels like the world is happening around me, but I, I have no emotion in it. It's the weirdest. It's like you're watching a movie. And I knew that my capacity was going lower and lower where I could, taking a shower was the most I could do. Now, I want to say this because this is, I think, critical for everybody listening and, you know, important in our lives. I have a prayer life, a devotional life. I am missing nothing in regards to my faith. And yet something is wrong. So fast forward, I go to a pediatric appointment. Um, during that pediatric appointment, she really says, I think you're dealing with postpartum depression. I call a friend of mine to go to a counseling office, which I was terrified because I'm thinking, I'm a pastor. Pastors don't go to therapists. Mm -hmm. But I, I walk in her office and she tests me for postpartum depression. And at the end of it, she says, well, out of the 14 signs, you have 13 of them. And I began to cry. And I said to her, well, what do you want me to do? Because that's mm -hmm. what we do, right? What do you want me to do? And she said, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to get a good night's sleep. So long story short, I got a good night's sleep. She, we pumped and you know, mom and husband and everybody joined in to help me get some sleep. And I went back on that Friday and I began to walk through postpartum. And that actually took me about six months. I got on medication. I met with her consistently. But then again, I had postpartum the next two kids. So this wasn't something that was one and done. This was something I had to learn. So back to this question that you had is, Havala, you're talking about hearing God, and yet I know you've gone through these dark points in your life. I remember writing a message series called When God Hides Himself From You. <laughs> and I mm -hmm. genuinely felt like, are you hiding? What is going on? Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until I began to understand how God was speaking did I know that, oh, he was speaking, 
I just assumed it would be in a specific way. So when I started discovering how to hear God's voice and teaching others, this is the critical part. Have you guys ever, or have you ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, which I'm sure you have, right? It was like this smash hit. And the cool part was, is with the five love languages is you, you discover how you receive love, but also how you love someone else, how they receive love. Well, created here, God was my work to show you that there are four distinct prophetic personalities. There are four ways God interacts with you. And it's not the same way with everybody. And if you can define and understand that primary way that he interacts with you, then you will never feel that he's not interacting with you. You'll hear his voice. It may not be as constant and as you know profound, but you'll know he's speaking to you. So there are four distinct ways, and that's kind of what the book has been about. Hmm. Wow. Well, to go back to your experience, um, my heart goes out to you as well. And the the difficulty and the heartache and for anybody listening who's walking through it, I just, I pray, I do have a full episode on depression, but I also pray that this just gives you a sense of freedom to say it is a mental health struggle. And specifically mine was postpartum as well, Havila. And I, I didn't realize what it was. Like I genuinely just thought I was a really bad mom. Totally. And I struggled to feel like God was anywhere present, but I also knew I had to respond in obedience and just like live in the word because nothing else gave me a sense of hope. Um, But for you to share your story is just so refreshing. And I feel like I never grow tired of connecting with others who are willing to kind of dig into the mess. And so I just thank you so much for that. I, I am so eager to dig in more into the ways that people hear God. And one thing that I want to talk about is maybe the controversy surrounding God told me, God said. This is something even just at Christmas, I was talking to family members and they're like, we have family in ministry as well. And you know, they hear a lot of like, God told me I need to leave and go to this church. But then they come back and they're like, actually God changed his mind or, (laughs) you know, and, and it has created, I've sensed in the people I talk to kind of this bitterness against that phrase and that term. And so my question would be, how do we navigate that to where that when we say God told me, that one, that's a thing we can be sure of, yeah. but two, also that it's something that brings us hope and assurance rather than a bitterness. Yes. Oh, such a good question and Thank such you. a good topic. I I would say this is part of my mission is to decode part of that because I think that can be very destructive. And I think mm-hmm. the idea that God said this and God said that and he's changing his mind and that God told me to marry this person and then this person left me and did God, yeah. ch- I mean, it's, it is, it can be very destructive. So what I, I find is, is that, um, well, first I would say the hardest person to hear God for is yourself. So I want everyone to hear that. Like you have ulterior motives. You want what you want. And even in the purest heart, to act, for God to tell you something in terms of what he's leading you or who you're supposed to marry, where you're supposed to go. Um, it's so much, It's that's like the, I would say the lesser important parts of hearing God's voice. Because hearing God's voice is not about getting every question answered or every problem solved. It's about interacting with the divine. It's about knowing that 
in the middle of the mount, uh, in the middle of the valley and on the mountaintop, he's speaking to me. So here's what I would say. I want to break this down so we can un- uncomplicate that because there's more to that. So there are four distinct ways that I believe we hear God. Now, again, you, God can speak to you in thousands of ways. He's God. I'm not putting God in a box. I'm not putting him in a formula. My goal is to get us to start somewhere and to, I, I guess it really comes down to this passion and this Oh, this thing in me that says everyone deserves to hear God. Everybody. You don't have to hear God from your pastor. You don't have to hear God from somebody else. Like you deserve, you're his kid. And so he wants to talk to you. I don't talk to one son and I tell the other son, hey, tell the other son what I'm saying. I interact with them because they're my kids. So hearing God's voice is about relationship. It's about being with him in the journey. So the way that I kind of found, and this is again, oversimplifying it, but for the sake of those of us that it just feels huge and unlike, how do I even start? Is I called the four, the four ways. One is the knower and the knower are those that are like light bulbs. So when God speaks to you, you just get this kind of intuitive light bulb moment. I'm supposed to move to Nashville, like we talked about together, right? Or I'm supposed to marry them, or I'm supposed to give to that person. It's this intuitive sense. I just know that I know, and that's it. They don't have a booming voice from heaven. They don't have this, you know, weepy prophetic word. It's just, I know that I know. And those, those are ones that God speaks to with intuition, uh, wisdom, clarity. It's just a knowing. Then you have your hearers. And here's are the classic traditional way that we were all taught. If you were in any kind of environment that taught you how to hear God's voice, your hearers are the ears in the room. God speaks to hearers through words, phrases, conversations, play by play. They are the ones that God and God said this, and then God said that, and then God said this. And they kind of use that phrase because it's usually words. It's usually uh, phrases. It's usually like a conversation. And then you have your seers. And your seers are those that God speaks to through visual, whether it's a vision, whether it's a dream, whether it's even colors can mean certain things or, uh, you know, things that only matter to you that he knows. And he'll speak to you through a visual uh, relationship. And then lastly, you have your feelers. And your feelers are those that God's, God speaks to and he interacts with through their emotions. Now, I know some people that are listening are thinking, are emotions dangerous? What about, how do we do that? Well, what I mean is that God speaks to them by interacting deeply within their emotions, whether it's a burden, it's a sensing, it's it's something that leads them and there's this emotional experience that's pretty profound. So why is that important? Because everyone that's listening today has one primary type. So God, I was, and I'll just be honest, I was a knower which meant that most of my years in church, I felt like a heathen because I didn't have the thus saith the Lord. I didn't have the tears. I didn't have the vision. I just kind of knew that I knew. And as long as I knew I was supposed to do this or that was the truth, that was it for me. And mm-hmm. and that worked Childlike faith though. That's so sweet. Yeah, like that's it, yeah. the knowing. But it's very hard when you're in an environment that elevates emotions or elevates sure. a thus saith the Lord. My husband and my dad are both feelers. They can be in an environment and they begin to cry. They can feel, you know, a burden. They have the gift of intercession. They experience Mm -hmm. God that way. Seers are a little more rare. They're the ones that get that vision and, but they've got this, I want to change the world, but I can't change my sheets. Like those are the seers. (laughs) And then your hearers are those that 
can almost exhaust the room by the play-by-play because they're journalers. They write, they have this story. My identical twin sister is a hearer and we could be living the same exact life. And she's saying, and God said this, and he told me this, and he did this. And I'm thinking, I haven't heard God for the last five years like that. So why is that important? Because it's about interaction with God. That's the most important part. So when we start hearing about God said, God told me, God said this, just to go back to your question, some of that is cultural. Just to be honest, in our faith communities, it's it's we sometimes it's used because we don't have the courage to show up as an adult and say, I just want to go to that church. We mm-hmm. use the God told me so I can get out of feeling like an adult. And then I get to just say, God told me. Um, or some of that is that they're here and they're using the buzzword in that kind of environment that we all go, oh, God said we should listen to that rather right. than I know I should stay at this church. And we kind of go, oh, well, you know, that's her knowing and not elevating it to hearing God's voice. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? So there's a lot within all this, but that's kind of part of it. No, it does. And it's so interesting to hear you explain that because of the way just I'm so, I guess, intuitive of my relationships and the way that people experience life, the way they experience love, the way they experience God and every example that you gave. I'm like, oh, this person or this person, I can just see that. And so it's kind of refreshing to me because I think similarly, it gives you a way of not only deeply, more deeply understanding them, but also encouraging their faith walk and as their people and also giving others the opportunity to encourage yours by the way that you learn and the way that you hear God. Um, But I also agree with you, Havala, that when we use it as an excuse, kind of like you said, just not wanting to be an adult, we justify things. We left a church years ago back home, which ended up actually just totally being demolished and turning into this really huge mess. But we saw some issues and we were wanting to leave and we received a lot of slack for that, for wanting to leave. It was a lot of pressure and I was young and it was just bizarre. But as we left, I felt this temptation to kind of be like, no, God is saying, and, and it could have been, but I was not the hearer and my, I had to stand firm and I don't know if what we're doing is the right thing, but I, I feel in every being in me, I do feel a sense of conviction Mm -hmm. that we're being led away. Um, and it turned out to be the right thing, but I think that it has been tempting to me, and I share that because it has been tempting to me in the past to use it as a justification. But I also, I guess where I stand is I, I want to be so firmly founded. And yeah. if God is saying something, I want it. And, and I believe he's saying something. I want to be very firm before I speak that out, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and I would say, um, you know, yes, we don't often know. You know, we're, we're, we are trying to sense and we are human. So this idea that what God says is just flawless coming out of us is not always true. And we don't always know. So one of the questions is, does God change his mind? If God told me to marry this person and then it blows up, what happened? Or if God told me to move here and it, and it doesn't work, what happened? And I want to say this, um, and it's usually uh, within hearing God's voice. God does not change his mind. The Bible says he does not lie. God is not confused. Mm-hmm. What happens is God leads us like a shepherd and many of us assume the destination. 
So we go, oh, God's leading me this way. So that means I'm supposed to do this, 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 and this. And we leave the present leading of God to say, okay, God, you're allowed to alter this or change this. Now, I want to go back because I know you said you have a lot of listeners that are in their marriages and they're leaning in. And I remember there was a season in my life where uh, Ben and I, our first five years of marriage were the worst five years of marriage I'd ever had. I mean, I literally remember calling my dad and saying, dad, I'm coming home. And he said to me, you are home. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like this. I mean, of course, if there was abuse or something sure. that I needed to get away from, of course. But he was kind of saying, "You made a commitment. You you got to try. You got to try this." So mm-hmm. we had this really. It was really hard. Very difficult. We have these four babies. Again, it didn't help. I definitely stacked the deck. But one of the <laughs> things that the Lord said to me is, "So Havila, when you got married, was there a gun at the altar?" Mm-hmm. And I was like. What do you mean? And he goes, was there a gun? Did somebody hold a gun to you when you said, I pledge to give you my life, you know, my heart, my life to do this with you? And I said, no. And he goes, so then why do you think that you had to do anything? And I'm like, why are we talking about this? I thought I was being led by you. And he said, I do not interrupt free will. You, I, I let all of us stay fully powerful. If Eve in the garden could eat the apple and God knew all of it was going to crap because of what she was about to do, then he would have interjected. But even when all of humanity was at risk, God let free will happen. And so many of us, I think we want God to do it all so that we could just be the kid. And yet he's saying, no, you are powerful. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be a father to you. I'm going to take care of you but I'm not going to disempower you to lead you. And I think that's really a destructive kind of mindset in our culture to where, remember, I I had four kids and under five, I had four C-sections in five years. I remember telling God, like, this is so hard. Nobody helps me. And, you know, I have no money and I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm traveling the world and I I don't have the money for a nanny. And so I'm big borrowing and stealing to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And God goes, was there a gun when you decided to make a baby? And I'm like, no, you know, like he just had to get me to like, the victim part of you. Like real ownership, right? Ownership. Own life. Yes, yeah. because I cannot partner with God if I give him things that are, he's going, I empowered you. Why is that important? Because it's not to bring fear like, oh no, what if I heard God and now I'm doing this? Does that mean I messed it up? No, it simply means that you get to be as powerful as you want to be in your relationship with God. He is not disempowering you to be powerful. He wants you to be powerful and to interact with him. So when we talk about these primary personalities, I want to be clear, you can be bilingual, you can be trilingual, you'll have all four of them operating in your life, just like love languages. I don't just have, I don't just affirm my husband and say, well, you know, acts of service is the lowest level, so I'm never gonna do anything for you. No, I Mm -hmm. operate in all five of those. But, and yet I need to discover the first one because that I get the most benefit from. That's why we want to know how God speaks to us because that's where we get the most benefit. So if you are in this season of depression, like you talked about, right? And let's say you're a feeler. Okay. So you're, you're going, I just, I feel so deeply and yet I don't, I can't feel anything. I just feel like I'm depressed and I feel no connection. Then what I would say is, okay, so what you're going to learn to do is take whatever you don't feel or whatever you do feel, and you're going to continue to set it before him and say, here it is, this is yours. And I'm going to give him back what I'm sensing. And so a lot of us hold on to it rather than like exchanging it with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I think that's part of the goal of this book is we need to stop overcomplicating hearing God's voice. We need to stop believing that only a few or only it only needs to happen over the big ideas rather than it's a daily interaction. I always say if God could meet the woman at the well, he could meet me between the washer and dryer. So mm, why is this important? Because our lives are so full that he wants to be in it when we're driving the kids, when we're doing the laundry, when we're doing our bills. He wants to be with us, not to not to just say, do this, do that, don't do that, but to say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. That's kind of the narrative of hearing his voice. My husband and I don't just interact because I need something. I, we interact because we're building a relationship. And that's okay. what I want to get back to as a church and as a community. I want us to go back to what we all were here for in the beginning, which was relationship in the first place. Amen. Oh my gosh. There's so many thoughts. Okay. But the one thing that I am going to is what I hear you saying, Havila, is don't compartmentalize God. We put him in this box of Santa Claus sometimes where I come to you and I need something. And I would never actively say that out loud, but when I'm honest about it, I really am just utilizing you when I'm broken or when I'm desiring something or even when I'm praising you. But in the interim, in the thick of doing dishes and dealing with children, and I, I'm compartmentalizing you. And what I feel is that the more that we let God into those small moments, the less likely we're going to be to do as you were talking about, the less likely we are to blame him for the things yes. that don't work out because we are praying. And this is a prayer I pray often is, Lord, help me to match my will to your will yeah. so that the things that I'm desiring, that free will that I have and that I can choose and with ulterior motives and all, help me to match that to your will for me because yes. as I do that, then I will feel that I am in living out the desires that you have for me as well. And then when things don't work out and I know that I made a decision and I know I know what God's voice sounds like yes. or the, the experience that I have when I hear God so much more than just in those grandiose moments. It's yeah, the, the high moments. stakes. Yeah. We, yes. we tend to leave God out of the low stakes and we yeah. only come to him in high stakes. And yeah. it's not even because we're trying to use God. I actually think we're trying to be um, low maintenance with him. Hmm. Ex elaborate on that because I agree I, with you. I think that we, you know, yeah, we, we go, God – there's so many problems in the world. There's so many people that need you. I'll oh be the low maintenance girl. I'll yeah. suffer over here. And when I need a big decision, I'll come to you. But I don't know. I think there's this part of us that because human relationships let us down, we either are too much for somebody, exhausting for the next. You know, we we get praised in the in our culture. We're praised for being low maintenance. We are praised for being low maintenance. And so we think with God, if we could be low maintenance with him, then he'll just think we're good, we're good people. And we only go to him when someone's passing away and we need someone to be healed or we need this. And what we're missing is that he he doesn't need us to be low maintenance. God didn't create us to be low maintenance. He didn't ask us to figure it out and then come to him. He is in it. Just like with my kids, I'm not hoping my kids are low maintenance so that mm. maybe once a day I talk to them when they need me. I'm I'm like, no, I want you to bring your coloring book in front of me and color in front of me. I want to interact with you. I want to be your, I'm with you. Like I'm invested in you more than you're invested in me. And yeah. so for a lot of people, I think we tend to be low maintenance or we tend to lack the confidence that we can hear God. 
um, because maybe we did something that didn't work or something didn't happen the way we thought. And so we, instead of saying, I don't know, like I remember one time I was talking to my dad my dad came from a very hard childhood and he became a minister for 20 years and, and then pastored for 20. And I told him, I said, dad, what do you do with the things that are inconceivable? People are faced with things that tragedy, they're faced with horrible things. Mm -hmm. What do you do even in your own heart and in your own life when you have gone through significant abuse and neglect and those type of things? How did you work that out with God? Like, how did you work it out with him? Because you're, you love him and you talk about him and you are obviously in relationship. And he said, you know, Havala, mm -hmm. there are some things that God answers on earth. And he said, but the way that I do it is I think about this file cabinet in heaven that's labeled things I don't understand. And he said, I put a lot of the things I don't understand in that file. And I, it's not a trash can. It's a file. It's not mm -hmm. dismissed. It's put in a safe place. And he said, and I, I really believe that when I get to heaven or we get into eternity, I will walk over there with Jesus and he will take that folder out and we will unpack every piece of those things. But he said, if I try to unpack that folder in life, I will not be able to function. I won't be able to, I, it's just too much for the human brain to conceive how all this is going to work. Mm -hmm. And so I just think about that. I think even with my depression, I had a lot of things that I've looked back and went, I just stuck it in a file. I stuck it in a file and mm -hmm. it wasn't denial. It was for safekeeping. That makes me emotional because mm -hmm. I feel that I am someone who always feels the need to know, you know, the gray, the gray areas are hard for me totally, and for my husband actually. So <laughs> we both are like always trying to understand. And I, I love that because it really is an act of obedience to just say, Jesus, I trust you with the things that I don't understand. And my finite mind couldn't grasp it anyway <laughs> right now, even if you tried to explain it to me, but that I can still have peace and knowing you are still good. You are still present. Well, thank you, Havala. I just, I'm so honored to get to know you. I'm honored you. to be able to hear your wisdom and your voice. And as I'm looking at you, I think we have the same earrings on. Do we really? Oh, <laughs> my kid got me this for Christmas. Oh, I think yeah. everything was, um, uh, yes, this was yeah. my fun. I love it. We're matching. <laughs> really pretty. But I would ask you as just in closing for our audience what is something that you, if you had to choose one thing that your readers take away from Created to Hear God, what would that one thing be? I would say permission to be different, mm -hmm. that your uniqueness does not define uh, that there's a lack. So me being a knower doesn't mean that I'm not as spiritual as a feeler or me mm -hmm. being a seer doesn't mean that I'm lacking being a hearer. The permission, like you said, and you actually alluded to this, Lindsay, which was awesome. It gives me space to see people and love them for who they are. Mm -hmm. So when my husband's a feeler, I can, I can understand that, respect that, and love that. And when somebody else is a hearer, I don't let it reflect what I don't have. It allows me to elevate what they do have. So that's really important to me is mm -hmm. the diversity in the body of Christ, um, to understand that your way is not the right way. Your way is one way. Mm -hmm. And whatever way you learn, I have four kids and they all four hear God differently. Mm -hmm. So I want to nurture my feeler, my knower, my seer, and my hearer. I want to do that well. Yeah. And so I think that's really, really important that we have space. We want to be bilingual in the church. That's very important when it comes to hearing God's voice. 
Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I am just so excited for you and your journey with this book and just the opportunities that you have to connect with people and to share your wisdom. For me, it's, this is just my favorite part. I know you're a podcaster as well. And it's just my favorite part is to feel like I'm able to meet new people and to hear from them and to glean from them. And so just thank you so much for that. And for our listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to share, share and tag us. Let us know what you gleaned from it, what you gained. And then as you go and click the link in my show notes to get to created to hear God, please follow up and let us know what you learned from it and how it impacted your life. As always, we want to support our authors and the people on the show. So if you have an opportunity, if you're ready for a new book, be intentional about getting created to hear God and also get one for a friend or family member to help impact their relationship with Jesus. So we love you. We're so honored um, to have you guys listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.